Today is Ash Wednesday, which, as Matthew mentioned earlier, marks the beginning of the season of Lent, the time in the Christian calendar when we prepare our hearts for Easter. It's also the time, spanning 40 days, when we remember the 40 years the people of Israel spent in the wilderness before they reached the Promised Land, and, and also the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness fasting before he began his earthly ministry. For this reason, people often choose to fast during the season of Lent. To give up things like chocolate or caffeine or alcohol or social media or Netflix. It's a way of reminding ourselves that there are things we can do without. That there are more important things to press into. Later on in the service, you will have ashes marked on your forehead in the sign of a cross and you will have these words spoken over you from Genesis 3.19. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Those are words that God spoke to Adam, and they are intended to remind you that you are human, that you are mortal, that you are limited, and that you need a Savior. At the same time, during Lent, we are reminded of something else as well. The word Lent comes from an old English word meaning springtime. Springtime is when we see the winter cold begin to thaw, and the long nights become longer days, and the tulips push their way through the soil and into the sunlight. During Lent, as we prepare for Easter, we prepare to be reminded that death does not have the final word. That new life is ever and always on its way to the surface, and that we have a wonderful, merciful Savior, Jesus Christ. There's always a paradox to Lent, death and life, fasting and feasting, depriving ourselves to give to others. Uh, if you think about it, there's a paradox to who we are as human beings. We are dust, but as I shared a couple of weeks ago in the words of astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, we are also made of the very stuff that makes up the universe, the stars, the galaxies, the nebulae, and that should make us feel big too. Rabbi Abraham Heschel puts it a little more theologically in his poem, Dust and Image. He says, man or humanity is a duality of mysterious grandeur and pompous aridity, a vision of God and a mountain of dust. It's because of his being dust that his iniquities, his sins, his transgressions may be forgiven. And it is because of his being an image, being the image of God, being made in the image of God, that his righteousness is expected. On Ash Wednesday, we remember our common humanity, that we all, rich and poor, short and tall, male and female, gay and straight, conservative and liberal, whatever your educational background, whatever your social class, wherever you call home, and whatever our relationship status on this day, we are all dust. And we also remember that the dust can be transformed. That we all who are dust are expected to be transformed. Transformation is the goal. Transformation is the goal. Lent is not just a gimmick for you to feel better about yourself. It's not just a season of self-help. Ash Wednesday is not just another church service to go to plus ashes. Lent is about a call to repentance, 
called to change your mind and to refocus, to return to the ways and the world of God. Thomas Merton would say it like this, we are not converted only once in our lives, but many times. And this endless series of large and small conversions, these inner revolutions, this leads us to our transformation in Christ. Or as the Apostle Paul wrote, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It sounds like transformation to me. That we might become the righteousness of God. And we all want to be transformed. In some form or fashion, all of us have within us a longing for something more. Maybe, if we're being honest, it isn't transformation into the righteousness of God. That sounds awfully holy. Maybe, if we're being honest, it isn't transformation into Christ's likeness. Maybe it's, it's, it's wanting to be skinnier or smarter or funnier, or better looking, or healthier, as our bodies start to reveal their mortality and limitedness, or our appetites and our addictions seem to trip us up at every turn. Maybe it's a transformation of our circumstances that we desire, a challenging or unfulfilling work situation, an overwhelming home life, uh, an arid romantic landscape, Recently, I've been thinking a lot about disappointment. I've had several conversations lately about disappointment, about this feeling of, this is not what I thought life would look like. This is not what I thought life would look like. You know, I, I, I thought I would be married by now, or I thought I would have kids by now, or I thought I would have a fulfilling job by now, or I thought I would be earning more than I am right now, or I thought I would have shaken that addiction by now. Or, or I never thought, I never thought that friendship would end. I never thought that would happen to me. I never thought uh, I would feel like God was absent. Or I never thought I would end up with someone who didn't share my love for Jesus. Or I never thought, fill in the blank. Whatever that disappointment is for you, whether that relates to you personally, or to your family, or to your friendships, or to our church, or to our city, our country or our world. That place of disappointment, that place of not quite rightness, that place can feel like a desert. It can feel like a wilderness. And what images come to mind when you think of desert or wilderness? I think of abandonment, isolation, exposure to the elements, discomfort, None of which uh, sound particularly appealing. You know, the word desert, it comes from uh, a Latin word meaning to leave or forsake. Again, not making the case for me to want to be there. I used to think of the wilderness as the place where God cursed the Israelites to wander for 40 years and where Jesus was tempted by the devil uh, with God seemingly, you know, nowhere, to, nowhere in sight. To be in the desert was to be deserted by God. I wonder if Paul on occasion felt like he was in the desert as he experienced his, his troubles and hardships and distresses, his beatings, imprisonments and riots, his hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. 
But there's a paradox in the desert too. See, the Israelites didn't wander for 40 years because it took that long to go from Egypt to the Promised Land. Or even because they were cursed. God knew that His people weren't spiritually ready for the Promised Land. They weren't ready to enter the Promised Land. And so the wilderness, the wilderness is where God formed them. Where God transformed them. From a people who yearned for, they yearned for the safety of slavery. And they complained to God constantly. And God transformed them into the people of God who were willing to walk around an enemy city blowing trumpets because God said that's how they would win. Transformation happened in the desert for the Israelites. And for Jesus, the wilderness is the place where he was tested, yes, but not just in the sense of exams where, you know, he could pass or fail, but rather in the sense of his metal, his substance, his character. It's where Jesus proved ready for the work to which God was calling him. We tend to think that there were only three temptations, right? But Luke tells us this, that Jesus, in Luke 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Jesus was being tempted the whole time, and he overcame it. And at the end of his time of testing in the desert, Jesus was again described as filled with the power of the Spirit. You know, I used to think that uh, Jesus began uh, his wilderness time filled with the Spirit, and, and then he got real hungry and, and barely made it through the temptations, which was sort of like his, his final exams. And then once he passed those tests and the devil left, Jesus was, was refilled with the Spirit. But I'm realizing that he was full of the Spirit the whole time. That the Spirit led him into the wilderness to test his readiness for the mission, that the Spirit reminded him of God's provision, that the Spirit reminded him of his identity, of who he was, and that the Spirit empowered him to overcome the temptations that the devil laid before him. And ultimately, that was what affirmed to him the presence and power of God with and in him for the mission he had been sent to accomplish. Transformation happened in the desert for Jesus too. What transformation might God be wanting to work in you in the midst of your wilderness, your desert, your disappointment, your this is not what I thought life would look like? So often our lives are padded with comfort and distractions that we can be fooled into thinking we, we don't need God or God's provision, that we're good. In the desert, we find these comforts removed, and perhaps there is the opportunity in that bareness, in that barrenness, to acknowledge our limitedness. Our disappointments are a sign and a symbol to us of our limitedness. There are things we can't do. There are things we can't get. There are things we can't force. Perhaps there is the opportunity in that barrenness to acknowledge our limitedness and to rely once again on our Creator and our Sustainer. In our technology and social media filled world, we are bombarded with an array of voices saying a myriad of things, both true and untrue, and usually a mix of both. 
And they're saying things to us and they're saying things about us. And in the desert, we find ourselves desperate for the voice of God to speak only truth, only what is real. And we find an opportunity to find our identity only in God. And so fasting and and praying and, and giving to the poor, which is another Lenten tradition, an Ash Wednesday tradition, can be ways of consciously choosing to remove those distracting comforts and those misleading voices so that we might be able to be attentive to God and to the work He desires to do in us. And it's not easy. I'm not, I'm not saying always look on the bright side of life. What I am saying is that going through the desert and wandering the wilderness is not something to be avoided, but in fact a necessary part of transformation. Going through the desert and wandering the wilderness is not to be avoided, but it is a necessary part of transformation. There is a helplessness to our humanity, a difficulty in our disappointment, a fruitlessness to our finitude, and it must be faced if we ever want to have any hope of growing up at all. We have to face those things. Father Ron Rollheiser said, in our fasting, Lent invites us to stop eating, in this case, whatever protects us from having to face the desert that is inside of us. It invites us to feel our smallness, to feel our vulnerability, to feel our fears, and to open ourselves up to the chaos of the desert so that we can finally give the angels a chance to feed us just as Jesus was in the wilderness. That's the Christian ideal of Lent, to face one's chaos. The need for Lent is experienced everywhere. Without sublimation, without refinement, we can never attain what is sublime. To truly enter a feast, there must first be a fast. To come properly to Easter in 40 days' time, there must first be a time of desert, ashes, heaviness, and tears. It's easy to read Paul's writings and, and to think sometimes, well, that's all well and good for you to say, Paul, you don't know what I'm going through. And then we read what he's been through. And what he continues to call others to, he says, as servants of God, that is who we are. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. This is what we do. In great endurance, we commend ourselves. In troubles, hardships, and distresses, we commend ourselves. In beatings, imprisonments, and riots, we commend ourselves. In hard work, sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, you don't have any other hands to hold anything else. That's all you got is the weapons of righteousness. Through glory and dishonor, Bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, we commend ourselves. We're no, when we're known yet regarded as unknown, we commend ourselves. When we're dying and yet we live on, we commend ourselves. Beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. We commend ourselves because we have in us the Spirit of God and we have the hope of glory. It's because Paul saw every moment as bearing the potential for the Spirit to move that 
He cultivated the ability to see God in everything. To rejoice in hardship, to be content with much, and to be content with little. And you know, after his conversion, Paul actually didn't launch straight into evangelism and church planting. You know what he did? He spent three years in the Arabian desert. Listening to God. Preparing for what lay ahead. Richard Foster and Dallas Willard and Walter Brueggemann and Eugene Peterson said this, Our wildernesses and deserts are not our endings. It is the Spirit of God who leads us about in them. They are our opportunities. Opportunities, though, can be taken or they can be left. Deserts can be places where we find ourselves so busy whining and complaining to God that we miss out on the glory right before our eyes. Or they can be places of strengthening, often through fasting, laying waste to tightly held assumptions and deconstructing mindsets that are deemed sacrosanct, and sometimes through removing relationships we found ourselves unhealthily dependent on. (coughs) Deserts can be places where we fall into the temptation and don't get out. Or they can be places where we seek God for the strength to overcome the temptations we face. Deserts can be places where we go mad thinking we're on our own, that God has left us. Or they can be places where we realize God is making us as silver is purified in the heat of a refiner's fire into the people he created us to be. The very righteousness of God. So I want to give you a moment right now to think about the question, the questions. What's your desert? What's your wilderness? What's the disappointment that weighs on you? The question or or, or the, the, the situation that makes you say, this is not what I thought life would look like. And what work is God doing in the midst of it? What work might God be doing in you? He may not change your situation. He may not change the externals. But you know for sure he's doing something inside of you. In a moment, as a form of response... We'll have you come up and and get your ashes and put a sign of of the cross on you and we will say, dust you are and to dust you shall return because you need to remember that you're limited. You can't do it all. That maybe these disappointments are a reminder of that because you've been trying to do it all. You've been trying to make it all happen, trying to have it all. Dust you are. And to dust you shall return. And right next to the person uh, where you get your ashes will be someone serving you communion. As a reminder that this is how much you're worth. The very life of Christ. God became a human being. To win you back.
But let me read this poem. It's by Jan Richardson. It's called Blessing the Dust. It goes like this. All those days you felt like dust, like dirt, as if all you had to do was turn your face toward the wind and be scattered to the four corners or swept away by the smallest breath as insubstantial. Did you not know what the Holy One can do with dust? This is the day we freely say we are scorched. This is the hour we are marked by what has made it through the burning. This is the moment we ask for the blessing that lives within the ancient ashes that makes its home inside the soil of this sacred earth. So let us be marked not for sorrow, and let us be marked not for shame. Let us be marked not for false humility or for thinking we are less than we are, but for claiming what God can do within the dust, within the dirt, within the stuff of which the world is made and the stars that blaze in our bones and the galaxies that spiral inside the smudge we bear. <laughs>